and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host, Jenny Gladman, and across the podcast, I'll be interviewing leaders, innovators, and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. From fuel cells to fashion tech, we'll discuss diverse topics such as scaling startups, strains on the C-suite and seeking investment while offering some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage and inspire everyone to live their purpose. What an exciting episode we have today. Not one, but two brilliant guests. I'm delighted to be joined by two of the brightest minds leading the way in the clean tech startup space. Not only are they uber talented and unwaveringly committed to building their startup, but they also happen to be two of the happiest people I know, which is no mean feat when you're four years into building your own business. So I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Vidal Barath and Dr. Eric Engelbretson, the COO and the head of engineering for Bramble Energy to today's show. They took a brilliant idea from a university lab to a garage to what looks like a sunny ski lodge in Sussex. I'm going to hand it straight over to you to tell your story. So Eric, Vidal, welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, and over to you to give our listeners a sneak peek into the people behind the fuel cells. Thanks very much, Jen. Um, really excited to be here and to share our story. Um, as with every startup, we've had a tricky road of lots of ups and downs, and always the ups outweigh the downs, which is always nice, and um, we're really excited to tell you how, how we did it. As you alluded to just now, we have taken a really cool idea from a from essentially a chemical engineering department at UCL and Imperial College and ran with it all the way to our own facility now with our own funding and building our team from three up to nearly 25 within the space of almost six months of funding. So it's a it's, it's been a really exciting journey so far and we were uh, and happy to discuss it. Brilliant. Well, today we are going to be talking about just that, the good, the bad and the ugly of scaling a startup from the ground up really. So we'll be touching on the amazing work that Bramble are doing to drive the energy transition to make the planet more sustainable, some of the hiccups you've faced along the way and the exciting times that lay ahead. So Vidal, do you want to give us the 101 on Bramble? Yeah, so essentially we're, um, we're a revolutionary fuel cell manufacturer. So we, we, we strongly believe in the hydrogen economy and the fact that that can empower renewable energy. So the idea of being able to store green electrons from wind and solar into, into a form, into an energy vector such as hydrogen that can be moved around and used wherever we need to. That can be used for power for stationary applications all the way up for transportation for rail, marine and planes. For a long time, we always wondered why, what was the issue with the industry and why we weren't really already doing this. And the, the issue really lays at the door of incumbent fuel cell tech. Fuel cell technology in general is quite complicated. It needs to be able to manage hydrogen in one side into a, into a device that can then give you power out. In that system, you have to manage temperatures, water, reactant distribution, all sorts of things. And consequently, you build factories that make these really complex things, and that whole process is quite expensive. At Bramble, we decided, what if we revolutionize that in the same way that Apple sort of revolutionized how you make a phone or a laptop? And we decided to contract manufacture through an existing supply chain, and we used the printed circuit board industry to do that, so often referred to as the PCBs. And in doing so, we've managed to develop and patent a number of different manufacturing routes into manufacturing fuel cells through the printed circuit board industry that gives us a much lower cost base than our competitors. 
So that is the, that's the real, like the, the driving force was to get fuel cell cost prices down and get them into the hands of people who can actually deploy them, not just in niche products, but in, in, in projects and applications that actually are cost comparative to existing electricity generating technologies. Brilliant. Complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a, a fantastic introduction. And then now sort of going across to you, Eric, at Brightsmith, our strapline is live your purpose. Um, and I think that rings true with a lot of people in clean tech, but I know you're particularly passionate about the sustainability angle of what you do. So what does living your purpose mean to you and, and how are you doing that? To me, it's just sort of be the motivation to get out of bed every morning and go to work is that, you know, you are working towards a solution that will potentially help generations after you. So I look at the work that we're doing here at Bramble as something that will outlive all of us. And it's just exciting to be part of that journey. We obviously have been looking at fuel cells for, well, over 100 years now. We're always told they're five, 10 years away. So making that step change to uh, here's, here's a fuel cell and it's part of your everyday life is, is what really drives me. Amazing. That's what people are always interested to hear. What made you take that leap of faith? So going from what might be seen as a bit of a safer space of academia and, and taking the leap of taking your product to market and moving into industry. I didn't really see it as, as, a, as a huge risk. The technology, um, when I joined the company, was already, well, was already around for four or five years. I, was almost, I almost approached it as a, how could this not work? And, you know, taking on the challenges that, uh, that um, are associated with scaling that process up every day is, as an engineer, it's what you're, you know, put on this planet to do. <laughs> Fantastic. And for our listeners out there who don't work in clean tech, Vidal, do you want to give us a bit of an insight into the sector as a whole? What is clean tech? What does it do? And where does Bramble fit into that? I guess it can, clean tech can probably be defined in lots of different ways. I think for us, it's any sort of technology that can give us a better environment, a more sustainable route to the things that the, that the incumbent technology is trying to achieve. So, for example, we might count batteries as clean tech or fuel cells as clean tech because they're giving us a route to market for mobility applications that replaces things like diesel and petrol. The way that Bramble fits in is actually quite unique because we can spread our wings across so many different industries and sectors. Because of what we, the way we manufacture fuel cells, it means that our applications go from anything from the very smallest scales, such as 15 watts of power for, I don't know, charging up mobile phones or for CCTVs and lights, all the way up to power for trains and planes, which are, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kilowatts and megawatts for stationary power. So we, we actually have quite a broad spectrum of different industries that we are trying to get into and really sort of decarbonize. I guess ultimately, clean tech is about decarbonization. And that is the ethos of what Bramble does. We're, we're here to support net zero. And we're trying to decarbonize as many industries and sectors as we possibly can using our unique technology. Fantastic. And I think that's what the world needs, not just the industry, but people with that passion to change it, to, to make it a cleaner place for us and for the next generations. So we've touched on the exciting bit and now on the trickier times. So the challenges. And I know having talked to you both before, the challenges are always there. And actually, perhaps what drives you? Let's talk about the challenges. Is it tech, people, finding a board, funding, locations, community? What are the big highs and lows? For me, I think you're absolutely right. There's always lots of challenges, but the, the challenges are the things that get me up in the morning. And the same way that Eric talks about, you know, he want his, for him, it's a bit of the sustainability. For me, it's about like fixing problems. I think I'm quite often referred to as a fixer, but in terms of 
the, the, the challenges are not just to me, it's to the business, right? So you, it, it's, it's all well and good to have a great idea, but you have to get the right people around you in order to help develop it because it's not just a one-man show, right? And it's not just even a three-man show as, we, as Tom, Eric, and I had before. It's about building the team around you, but it's about building the right quality investors as well. And that makes a huge difference. So having informed investors that understand sectors and industries and get the tech goes a really long way in terms of what you're actually able to deliver on because they can back your vision and your idea. Building the team around you is probably even more important because you need to have trust in the people that you're working with and work for you, your team members, you're all in this together, right? It's getting the product to market is not a one is not one person's responsibility. And frankly, it's not even just the people working in that team. It's the whole company at large. It's about supporting each other to get those things done. So Yes, there's challenges, but there's also solutions to it. You know, we've been businesses have been around for who knows how many, you know, thousands of years. And for us, it's just about working out what's the best route for certain problems and things like that. I will say, regardless of the challenges, for anybody listening who's thinking about doing something, just stick with it because it the, the 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 ups definitely outweigh the downs. And you can feel like it's crisis all the time, but also when you take a step back and you look at what you've achieved. For us, for example, you know, building a team from three in this time last year to now 25 at the time of building that was just you know just your head's going to explode with the amount of interviews you have to do or the quality of people you're getting in but actually when you step back and you look at it you go okay we've actually done a phenomenal job here and it's it's the same with the tech for me personally at least it's the same with the tech it's the same with the investment i almost look back at our investment rounds and building the team and doing all these really difficult things with rose tinted goggles because now I find it quite exciting to see what we achieve and what challenges lay ahead and how I'm in a better stead for that now because of the challenges we faced. Eric, over to you for the kind of tech and engineering challenges. What's been the pull your hair out or perhaps shave your head moment? <laughs> well, shave your head is, is purely a, a byproduct of lockdown, but that's, uh, that's not that interesting to everyone else. I'd say that we were quite lucky when we first started because we had two of the biggest academics in the fuel cell space working alongside us. What that enabled us to do is unlock quite useful commercial relationships with people that they had encountered throughout their careers. So we had people in our ear about this is what people want to see in the fuel cell industry as you scale. Obviously, you might not be able to achieve that in you know the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, but have your eye on that and show that you're working towards that. So when when I joined, you know, we were still um, pressing our own MEAs in a in a lab in uh, in London, and now we're at a scale where we properly we do what we say we're going to do and subcontract manufacture at printed circuit board factories. That process wasn't facile. Uh, it took a lot of face to face time with these guys working on the assembly line, and we achieved that. And now it's as Vidal says, it's uh, you know unlocking the larger markets, um, getting everything to work, and. With the team that we've built now, uh, we have an extraordinary amount of resource in terms of people, which we didn't have access to just 12 months ago. I mean, yeah, certainly sounds like a hell of a ride. And Vidal, you actually touched on it just before, but the step back moments, when you step back and you look at the 12 months, are there any kind of key moments that you think, wow, that we really realized at that point we'd, we'd massively achieved something? Yeah, 12 months ago, if, I, if, if you told me we'd be in this position 12 months ago today, I would have snapped your arm off for it because it's it's an amazing thing to, to look back and go, right, well, you know, we, we've actually three people with some tech that, you know, it was manufacturable at worth, but it was not by any means ready to go. 
and that was 12 months ago and we managed to get funding out of some of the biggest investors in the uk well millions of pounds of funding based on an idea and a pitch deck that sort of you know comes out of our head which is almost a strange concept you know we Tom and Eric and I discuss ideas and we write it on a pitch deck and we put it in a document and present it to some people, show them some, some shiny bits of kit that we've, we've developed. And a little bit later, you've got some money in the bank and you can actually go off and do the things that you've promised you'll go and do. And it's almost at every scale you can look at it. Then it's that is raising the money. That was amazing. Having our own facility. I think that was probably the most seminal moment for me was that we've gone from the university lab, sort of, we, we always joke about squatting in a lab, but the truth is, we, we were there because, our, as Eric alluded to, we, our founding professors have spaces at Imperial and UCL, so we could use those spaces to develop the tech. But, you know, going to the garage, where, as I think I mentioned, all, all great startups start in garages, and having that moment of our, our garage development phase, and then to our own facility, you know, and, and yesterday we were really lucky that I actually signed for the lease on the facility next door, so we, we, we've just increased the space by over 100%. I, as I say, if, if, I, if you could have told me this a year ago, I would be, you know, I'd have bitten your arm off for the opportunity to, to be in where we are today. So all of those things, having a product that's nearly ready to go to market, very, very close is phenomenal. The projects that we're doing with um, Marla Powertrain, but so from the tech side as well, you know, it's, it's, it, it's across the spectrum. It's the tech's going really well, the, the, the facility, the people we've hired, you know, we've got some really outstanding people that, I just couldn't believe we could actually get hold of them, but they believe in the idea. They, you know, they, they, they're on board with what we want to do and uh, getting great people is really important. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess all of those things, that's not really a fair answer. I've just basically listed off what we've done and I've said I'm really proud of it. <laughs> no answer, you should be really proud of it. And I think um, on the people side, I think people follow people and you guys clearly absolutely love what you do. And I think that inspiration rubs off on other people. They see that you're so committed to, to getting to that that goal, that end point, and infiltrating many different industries, and, and they want to be along with you. So, yeah, I think that hasn't happened by chance. And touching on the the kind of, I guess, going back to a couple of the challenges, like what have you learned? What have you learned about yourselves? What have you learned from a business perspective? Like, if you could go back, what would you do differently? I don't know if, what I'd do differently, but I would say don't learn this much about yourself in a year unless you're doing something really difficult. Um, but it's worth it. Right? Everything that we're doing is worth it because we see that the, the change we're bringing to net zero and to the world, it's urgent and we're pushing really hard to make it happen. And I, I guess the thing, the message I'd give to myself if I could go back and I, I think this is the sort of question you're alluding to is stick with it, right? And I, you know, there are definitely moments of really sticky, hard stuff and frustration, rip your hair out moments, but stick with it. You'll find the solution in the end. And I think that that's the best message I could give to anyone. It's just like, it's hard, but it's hard on purpose. Otherwise, everybody else would do it. Just do it really well. Never, you know, stick by, stick by your, your, your conscience of do it the best that you possibly can. That's, that's my thing. It's just, if you're going to do it, do it once and do it really well. Just keep doing, just for me, I've, just keep your head down, get that done. And the hard parts will pass. There's always a solution. Brilliant. And Eric, anything to add on that? Any, any big learns you've had about yourself or engineering, perhaps, once you've, um, you've gone out of a totally different environment into your own facility and, and built your own team? What I will say is, is uh, you know, just sort of in reference to what Vidal was saying, is that, yeah, the, the, when the going gets tough, you're not alone, right? You, we built a team from three people and we, we always turn to each other, especially the, the darkest hours. And just to keep each other going. And I think that's the sort of environment we try to continue to nurture, uh, even as we've grown. If I had to go back, 
you know, right to the very beginning, it's very easy when you are just starting out to think of all money is the same. I would just advise anyone who's looking for investment when you're very small, not all money is good money. Uh, your investor is almost as important to the company as you are. So they should be adding not just money, but their experience and their vision should be aligned with yours. Any advice to people that are starting out on that funding seeking investment journey? Like what would be your top tips? I'd say you should get as much external input as possible. So write things down, get your decks ready, write your business plans and get as many people to read it and tell you if they'd buy the thing that you're going to try and sell. Right? That's ultimately what you're, it's all about. Right? Are you going to have customers for what you're trying to do? Try and get like-minded people to buy into your idea. You know, and, and I'd say one founder is probably at least one too few. You want to have a partner because there is times when it gets really tough and having someone else there with you or multiple people with you makes that journey a lot easier, a lot more palatable. But yeah, for, fun, for funding, get other people to read it, write it down, iterate it, change it, rip it up, start again, do it all over again. Just do it a lot of times and make sure you're, you've got your messaging perfect. And then start to go out to the investors and don't get downtrodden if your first person you go to speak to says, this is a terrible idea, right? We, we, we all know the stories about Disney, et cetera, and how they couldn't get funded. It's, it's all about just having confidence in yourself and believe back your own idea and make sure you back it all the way because you will have lots and lots of naysayers. But then you will find the right investors. It's like buses. Once you've got one, they all, they'll all start coming after you. So uh, that would be my advice anyone trying to write their pitch decks and get cash. Excellent. I think sound advice and something that you'll probably be coming back to yourself in the not too distant future. <laughs> Almost certainly. And actually speaking of the future, what do you envisage for the future of fuel cells? Not just for Bramble, but I think clean tech is an industry that thrives because lots of people are doing great things in similar areas, but there's so much appetite from industry. How do you see things growing? What does you know, what do you think the fuel cell space will look like in five years? I think that you're going to have, just, just so we're all clear, that we don't believe that fuel cells is the only technology that's going to help decarbonize the world, right? Or decarbonize sectors and industries. It's, it's, it's a combination of lots of different renewable techs that have to be involved. There isn't a silver bullet, silver bullet technology. What we think with fuel cells, though, is that we think that they'll be a major contributor. Because of how diverse the technological solution is, the fact that you can scale in size, as I said, from 20 watts up to megawatts, or 15 watts up to megawatts, or even gigawatts, is actually unparalleled. I mean, yes, you can with some batteries, but also with the refueling ability to refuel your vehicle in two or three minutes versus having to recharge for a lot longer period of time, but to still sort of get the same driving experience and you know zero, zero tailpipe emissions as well. It's something why we think fuel cells is going to make a big dent in the energy mix. I'd say but what Bamble's doing is we're trying to, and I, I know you, you sort of in reference not to Bamble specifically, but with Bamble, what we are doing is there's a massive step change in the accessibility of fuel cells to the main commercial markets because of the price, because we can scale quickly. And also because we have an adaptable form factor that means that lots of different integrators can use it. So whether or not you're putting in a ship or a boat or a plane or a train, we, we can give you something that's more bespoke for you that, that you might not have had or you might not have by other competitors at the moment. So we definitely think that the, the clean tech space in general is going in the right direction. It's only going to get bigger because we have a climate crisis. It's, it's as simple as that. We have to sort that out. And you can't do that with using what we currently do to, to generate electricity, current electricity generation technologies. So we've got to get rid of the diesels and the petrols. In, in, some, in some places, there's going to be 
fuel cells will take the place of, of anywhere you can have a diesel engine, for example, whether it's you know, what you use in a festival to have your lights or, or power your stages as a diesel backup generator. We can do that with fuel cells. But we can also drive your car or we can power your lights. So I definitely think it's going in that direction. And I think that it's a, it's a really fun journey to be on. And we think the market's going to get bigger and bigger. I, I, I can't see it contracting, as I say, for the reason that unless the climate solves itself and, and we're, all, we're all doing something wrong, I don't see how it can possibly contract. It's, it's, too, it's too important. Oh, I agree. And actually, just to, to further that point and where you're headed, you, you both touched on that kind of stop and reflect moment of where you are and what you've achieved and how a year ago you just couldn't have imagined it. So if you could mark this day in 12 months time with the same kind of feeling of success, what would that look like? Where would Bramble be then? <laughs> if in 12 months time we have commercially available systems, several products, I want people to be asking, how clean is your hydrogen? Because that's, that's ultimately what I see is, is next, right? If we're going to, to power these vast array of um, different uh, industries that Vidal just mentioned, I wouldn't be doing my job well if, uh, if we're still asking the questions of, do fuel cells work? Are they a viable future for us? I see that question being asked of, how, how green is your hydrogen? That's, that's what I want to see. <laughs> I guess for me, we have a nice office out in Gatwick, in Croydon, near, near Gatwick Airport, and there's a main road that runs along it. And for me, I think when I look out in the road, because quite often when I'm pondering things and I'm looking out the window, you see lots of cars and trucks and buses and stuff go by. And I think for me, like knowing that those things can all be replaced by our version of electricity generation from motive applications, I think that for me is the next step that I want to go. Right, that's a Bramble car that just went past, or that vehicle powered by by Bramble propulsion systems. So that for me is going to be really a seminal moment and if the last 12 months is anything to go by the next 12 months are really exciting because it's going to be even more exponential in what we're going to achieve you know as eric says products in the field commercial deals with oems and tier ones all sorts of things in different industries and sectors we're, we're out to raise money again later this year we're going to be building the team even bigger than we are currently we're going to be from 25 up to closer to 80 we've got a lot of fun ahead of us an awful lot of stress as well but more, more importantly the fun no, I think that's brilliant. Maybe we should schedule episode two or part two of the podcast for a year today and, and see if we've seen any of those cars drive by. <laughs> Absolutely. And Eric, going back to the sustainability aspect, but you know, when you sit there and you really consider the impact that you're having on the planet, how does that feel? How do you feel when you're completing a project and knowing that there's an absolutely massive impact that you can have on the planet by just leading your team in the direction that you're leading it? It's, it's obviously very fulfilling because obviously this is, this is the main motivation I think most of us that are work here have. It's to help the environment in the long run. We never really sit on our laurels when we get those victories, right? We've done a very small part of a very big problem. So we always have our view to the future towards scaling up, towards the challenges that might come up as a result of this success. It's a never-ending cycle, but it's a cycle that, is, that I'm really happy to be doing. Brilliant. And I think to close out, there's going to be a number of people out there that are PhD students or even kind of early on, early on in their education who are sitting there thinking, I, I have this dream, I have this vision, I have this idea. Or perhaps someone even that's working in a totally different sector who's thinking, maybe I could be having more of an impact. If you could leave them with three pieces of advice, what would be each of your advice to those people? Oh, that's a really good question. Do it. Right? Just do it. I think you, I probably can't put that in there because that's Nike's thing, isn't it? But do it. People should try new things and they should see what they, see what they can achieve. It's unbelievably fulfilling to be going to work and doing something 
that makes a difference. You know, for a long time, I wanted to be, I wanted to do a different job. I wanted to be in finance and I couldn't really find the reason that I would want to really do it though. It's, I wake up every morning and I have a really difficult job, but I really enjoy it because I know at the end of the day, I'm going to feel fulfilled, but that I'm one step closer to achieving something for sustainability and for the society and achieving net zero. So I'd say do it. I'd also say try as many different things as you can, like read a lot of stuff, get different experiences. And you never know when some of those experiences click together and you realize actually, well, that actually makes a lot of sense. In terms of anyone who's got, whether you're a PhD and you've, or who, whatever, you've got a really good idea is work on how you convince people, right? Try and convince the people around you. And, and it's basically a very small version of market and data analysis to see whether or not what you've got is a good idea or not. Because if the people around you don't think it's a good idea, that doesn't mean it's not a good idea. It, it's just about like understanding that you have a market that, because you might, you might think I have a really good idea, but the market might not be ready or the market might never be ready or the market might never be there. And you need to try and understand where, what that means for you and your product. Don't be fearful. Go for it is probably my overarching theme. From my perspective, I think a lot of people that begin in academia and start a PhD, they have this intellectual curiosity to them. They ask questions they, about the world around them in their everyday life. And quite often what you see is over the course of the four years of the PhD, you get very pigeonholed or you get very focused on one problem and you take your eye away from the bigger picture. So my only advice really is keep your head up and never really lose that intellectual curiosity. Ask questions outside your space. As Vidal says, speak to other people. When you have an idea, there's no such thing as a bad idea. The people around you will ask the questions that other people would have anyway. So don't be afraid to come out of your shell a bit and uh, leave your safe space. Excellent. Well, hopefully you will have inspired some other people to join your journey. And I think if you are inspired to join the journey, do reach out, get in touch, and I'm sure we can uh, find people who can mentor you and give you some of this advice that you need on, the, on a larger scale. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. I absolutely loved it. My first time hosting with two guests, and thank you very much for your insights, your wisdom, and your passion, which is ever evident into what you do. So thank you both for joining us. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of Bramble. It sounds like there's a lot on the horizon, lots of amazing things coming up. So very best of luck with the journey. And thank you, both of you, for sharing your brilliant insights. Thanks, Jen. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech, brought to you by Brightsmith. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. For more information on how Brightsmith can help you build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, head over to brightsmith.com and join us next time for more conversations in clean tech.